The following message is by Dr. Derek Brown, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Proverbs chapter 31, looking at verses 10 through 31. And on a day, like I've mentioned already, when our society chooses to honor mothers in a special way, I think it's appropriate to talk specifically about womanhood and the topic of motherhood as well, but the irony of celebrating Mother's Day in a culture where the, our, the very concept of motherhood is being confused and the very reality of womanhood is being confused, the irony should be obvious to us. If it's not, let me paint you a picture. In the last five years, there's been an explosion of the number of people identifying as transgender. Uh, To identify as transgender means that you do not believe that your biological sex matches who you really are on the inside. And so you could be a biological male, yet you believe that you're really a woman, and therefore you now identify as a woman, although you are biologically male. And you may even undergo hormone treatment and body-altering surgery to bring your physical sex in line to what your perceived gender identity is. And while the number who identify as transgender has grown significantly over the last five years, the overall number in comparison to our uh, overall population is still relatively small. Nevertheless, the transgender movement as a whole has gained a disproportionate influence in our culture at large, claiming that any resistance against one's desire to identify as the opposite gender than their physical sex any resistance against that desire to do that is now an act of discrimination and oppression, now akin to racism and other forms of illegal discrimination. Sadly, however, it's women whose dignity is being undermined and whose safety has been endangered in the swell of transgenderism. It's women who are being attacked. For example, the very concept of womanhood is being questioned with some arguing, believe it or not, that Womanhood as a concept is a mere societal convention with no grounding in reality or no metaphysical grounding, if you want to use the philosophical term. Therefore, biological males are allowed to compete in women's sports. And as you would expect, the physical differences between men and women, given that those physical differences, the men often dominate the women. Even in some high schools, Some young girls are facing situations where biological boys are being allowed into their locker room. In one case in a high school in Vermont, a girl who spoke out against a biological boy who was allowed to be in the girls' volleyball locker room while they are changing due to his identifying as a girl, when she spoke out against that and said, this isn't right because he's a boy and we are girls, she was actually the one disciplined for bullying and for harassment. And then when her dad spoke out, he was a soccer coach at the same school, when her dad spoke out, he was suspended without pay for an indefinite period of time. Even language about motherhood is changing. Maybe you've heard some of these things. For example, some influential health institutions and parenting websites, even the National Health Service in England, are encouraging people to use the word chest feeding instead of the term breastfeeding because chest feeding is more gender inclusive. And other essential elements of motherhood are being muted uh, of their gender specificity so as not to exclude males who want to be mothers or women who identify as men who, but who still want to become pregnant. 
For example, we are starting to see a push for the phrase pregnant people instead of a pregnant woman. What does all of this mean? Well, the takeaway is that the glory of womanhood and motherhood is under open attack in our society and among our lawmakers. And tragically, the beautiful differences between men and women, differences that God has built into the creation, differences that are to be enjoyed and exalted and and glorified even, they're being erased. But it's women who are suffering because of it. Your dignity is being attacked. Your dignity is being undermined. Your safety is being compromised. And what women need, therefore, women the world over, but women here at CBC, the ladies of CBC, what you need is a beautiful picture of godly womanhood that we find in the scripture. You need a picture of godly womanhood and motherhood that God gives us in his word. But the simple act of going to scripture and celebrating womanhood and celebrating motherhood is, in our day, a a, a real act of cultural defiance, isn't it? Just a simple act of celebrating motherhood is an act of cultural defiance, and that should grieve us, really, because what God has created is beautiful. What God has created is good, and it's sad to see it rejected and in some cases mutilated. God created man and his woman, man and woman in his own image. Each gender, each sex is a gift to the other. As a perfect compliment, womanhood is a wonderful gift. Femininity is beautiful. Motherhood is a glorious calling. And these are the things that need to be recaptured, I think, in our day and age. But we can't just talk about womanhood and motherhood in the abstract because we also know that prior to the 21st century, something tragic occurred in creation. God's first image bearers sinned against their creator. Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord who instructed them to and eat and enjoy the abundance of the creation that he had given them, but just stay away from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and don't eat from it. Well, they did eat from it, and at our core, therefore, as a result from that sin, we now inherit a sinful nature. We are all at our core sinners whose hearts and minds, and this is vital, no longer work the way they're supposed to. As disturbing as things are in this culture, they should not surprise us, ultimately because of who we are as sinners in Adam, without the regenerating power of Jesus. Instead of loving God and his truth, we now reject God and his truth, and we embrace what is unnatural, we embrace what is perverse, and we embrace ultimately that which will harm us. That's the insanity of sin. We are embracing and enjoying that which will ultimately destroy us. And we're seeing that graphically played out even today. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came to save and restore and forgive and renew us. He died in our place and he rose again so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. But salvation doesn't stop there. Salvation continues with the change of heart, with receiving a new heart and a new mind that is now capable of embracing the truth of who we truly are we now can begin to think and feel according to the truth, including the truth of womanhood and motherhood. We can think according to God's will. Jesus Christ came to restore true womanhood. And those women who have trusted in him can now walk and grow in godly femininity, experiencing the joy and honor of being a woman who pleases the Lord. And that's what we want to do today in our 
passage. We want to celebrate womanhood and motherhood, and we're going to do so by looking at what Scripture says about being a woman, about being a godly woman. Let's begin, actually, though, in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, as you'll see on your outlines, we must begin this conversation by making an obvious observation, namely this. A godly woman is a woman. A godly woman is a woman. We see in Genesis chapter 2 that God created Adam in his own image, and he created him first. And he brought out all the animals that he had created to see what Adam would call them. But he also brought out all the animals for Adam to assess because he needed Adam to recognize that among these animals, there was not one animal that could serve as his perfect complement and his perfect helper. So Adam's out there, he's naming the animals, and he soon realizes, like, wait, this ain't going to work. I mean, all these animals are great. You know, I like horses as as much as the next guy, but that's not going to work is a perfect companion for me. God recognized that it was not good for the man to be alone, which is a remarkable statement, because Adam was with God. And yet God says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for him to be without fellow image bearers. And so what does God do? Well, he causes Adam to fall asleep, and he takes from his own body, this is so instructive because of the what we see in Uh, Ephesians 5 actually takes from his own body so that actually that woman that he's about to form is actually to then rejoin his body again. But what he does is he takes from his Adam's own body as he after he caused him to fall asleep and he creates for him a fellow image bearer. But she's different. She's wonderfully different. This is his response. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, unlike the animals. She is just like me, but oh man, she's, she's, can we say it? She's pretty hot. Maybe we, we could say that. She's pretty beautiful. She's pretty attractive. There's an attraction I have with her that I don't have with anybody else. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam's wife was female. Again, these are obvious statements, but we need to make them today. She was female. She was human, but she wasn't a male. She wasn't masculine, she was feminine. She wasn't a man, she was a woman, and she complimented the man in every way, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. She complimented him with her gifts and her talents and her strengths. He, she could fill in gaps where he had weaknesses and blind spots, and she could come alongside and, and have strengths that he didn't have, insights that he didn't have. But at basic, she was a woman and not a man. She had all the physical and emotional and intellectual characteristics of a woman. And after God created her, we, we see in, in Genesis chapter 1, which gives us the kind of the overarching uh, description of what happened in the creation. Genesis chapter 1 is the overarching description. And then what Genesis 2 does, it's not a separate creation account. It actually is zooming in on day 6. And the order is the man is created first and then the woman created out of the man. But you can see in Genesis 1 that after God had created the man and the woman, he stepped back at his masterpiece and he said that, behold, it was very good. And he said that after he had created the woman. The implication is, ladies, is that womanhood is very good. Ladies of CBC, you are a gift to this world and highly valued by your creator because you display his glory in a unique and beautiful way. 
You are a gift to this world. You are a gift to this church. I'm so glad it's not a bunch of guys running around. (laughs) The implication of this obvious but necessary observation that a godly woman is a woman is that you can't pursue godliness by merely identifying as a woman. You have to actually be a woman. And your gender is not of your own discerning or choosing. It has been given to you as a gift by your creator, and it is good. And I hope that if there are some of you today, some ladies maybe even here, maybe even visiting, you don't love being a woman. My prayer is that you would eventually come to love being a woman. And maybe you need to come to know the Lord Jesus and have him wash and renew your mind and show you the glory of being a woman. My, my hope for you is that you would love being a woman. God has created you that way, and it is good, and we are so glad that he has made you that way. Now that we've established this important criterion, let's now turn back over to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31 is the description of an excellent wife. So you might be thinking, well, Derek, I'm not a wife. Well, that's okay. Because it's not only applicable to married women, because the woman described here, she is walking in godly femininity and she's doing it within the context of her home. But the qualities that are displayed here of godly womanhood, they can be applied to every woman who knows the Lord. These are qualities of godly womanhood that all Christian women must seek by God's grace to emulate. As we'll see, I think as we walk through it, you will recognize that this isn't only for married women. This isn't only for married women with children. This is for all women. But before we launch into this passage, I think we need to say this as well as by way of preface. This passage is the ideal for the the godly woman. That's an important word, ideal. As we, what we'll see today will be a beautiful picture, I, I, I trust, but it will also be challenging. And you need to remember, ladies, that you are saved by grace and forgiven of your sins because of Christ, not because of how well you emulate the woman in Proverbs 31. It's an ideal to strive after. It's a picture to craft your life around. But you are saved by God's grace. But that same grace that has saved you has empowered you also to walk in godly femininity. To become the woman who God wants you to be. So as you walk through this passage, ladies, I hope you feel both encouragement to pursue godly womanhood even more, but also that you sense the grace of Christ that will enable you in this pursuit. And that will continue to forgive you as you fail. Men need the grace of Christ. Women need the grace of Christ to become who God has called us to be. So please keep that in mind. Sometimes Proverbs 31 can be preached in such a way that the ladies walk out and be like, well, I'll never be like that and forget about that, right? That's not what we want. We want you to see this as the beautiful ideal that God has now empowered you to pursue and he's given you the grace to pursue it and even the grace to forgive you when you fall short. So let's now continue into Proverbs 31. The first thing that we see in verse 10 is that a godly woman is priceless. She's priceless. She is so valuable. An excellent wife, who can find she is far more precious than jewels? She's rare. You got to look for her because she's not all over the place. 
she's excellent. She is priceless. She is so valuable. Even more valuable than earthly riches. Now, earthly riches can be a blessing. But if you had to choose between a godly woman and earthly riches, the choice should be obvious. Why? Because a godly woman will bless your life far more than mere earthly riches. Far more. That's because her character will enhance your life in countless ways, even more than money and possessions will. She will do you much tangible good. She'll do tangible good to all the people in her life. In this passage, it's her husband and her children, but a a godly woman will do tangible good to all the people in her life, her extended family, her church family, her friends. A godly woman is a priceless treasure to her husband, her family, and to her friends, and to her church. Why? Because her gentleness, her wisdom, her femininity, her tender heart towards the suffering, her heart for children, and as we'll see as we walk through this passage, her diligent work ethic, they all, all of these qualities bring tremendous amount of blessing to the people in her life. The woman of Proverbs 31 can be summed up this way. She is selfless. She's selfless. And she is a priceless treasure to the people in her life. That's what you see in verse 10. But you also see that the godly woman is trustworthy. This is verses 11 and 12. The, the heart of her, woman, of, the, of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Why will he have no lack of gain? Because... The heart of her husband trusts in her. She's trustworthy. She always tells the truth. She can always be relied upon. She's not going behind her husband's back. She's never willing to compromise the truth. She does what she says she will do. She does not gossip. She's honest and upfront. She's forthright. She's not passive aggressive. She's not manipulative. She's faithful to her husband absolutely and to her family. And she never speaks ill of her husband or harms him in any way. In uh, her book, Beautiful Girlhood, this is a, a classic book written by Marble Hale. It's an old book. But she writes this about truth. She says, quote, Truth beautifies the wearer. It sits like a royal crown upon the head of all who possess it. Nothing so beautifies the face as a noble heart and a clear conscience. One whose motives are all pure and who has spoken the truth can look the world in the face without flinching. And then she goes on to say that telling the truth is often a greater act of courage than even going out into military battle. And I agree. For the woman, courage is not found primarily in her ability to compete with the, on the same level as a man in the workplace or on the sports field or on the battlefield. Rather, it's... Her, her courage is found in being committed at all times to the truth. A trustworthy woman is a beautiful woman. Let me say that again for the guys in here. Okay? You want to know what to look for? Here's one thing. A trustworthy woman is a beautiful woman. And I believe her character will actually accentuate and highlight her physical beauty, as we'll see in a little bit. Next we see in verses 13 through 19 and also in verse 27. We see, this this is a a big part of this, this proverb here. A godly woman is diligent. A godly woman is diligent. 
She's a hard worker. One of the primary reasons why a godly woman is such a blessing to the people in her life, why she's such a blessing to her husband and to her children and to her extended family and to her friends and to her colleagues is because she is diligent. Let's see what it says. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. Notice that she is active in this. She's not passive. She seeks wool and flax and she works with willing hands, not unwilling hands, not resistant hands. She is a happy self-initiator, not a grumbling sluggard who begrudgingly does the minimum required because she has no other choice. She is proactively diligent. She is filled with the energy of the Holy Spirit, so she's always looking for good things to do. She doesn't have enough hours in the day to do all the good that she would want to do. She complains that there's not enough time in the day to accomplish all the things that she wants to do. Now, I'm going to embarrass Amy, but these are literally conversations that I've had with my wife. She doesn't, she just, she, she needs more time. That's always the complaint. More time, please. She has all these ideas about all the good things she wants to do, and there's not enough time. Well, this is, this is the, the, the godly woman. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. This is active. This is not passive. This is wanting to. And verse 14 compares her to a merchant ship that brings goods across the sea, which means that she puts effort into the way that she supplies her family with food. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So what she's doing here is actually self-sacrificial to provide for her household. She's working into the night. She's getting up while it's still night. These maidens would have been young unmarried women who would help around the various tasks in the home. And you might be thinking, well, Derek, this means that this is a wealthy woman and I'm not a wealthy woman like that. Well, guess what? These maidens would have likely been doing the work that your washing machine does and your dryer does and your dishwasher does and the other uh, appliances that you have. We actually, even, even those who are lower middle class and middle class here in America are more wealthy than this woman ever was. So don't let that dissuade you. You have maidens. You just don't have to feed them. <laughs> in verse 19, we are told that she... Um, puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. The idea is that she's, she's grasping this. It's her work. It's what she wants to do and she's working hard. And these are likely the components of some sort of apparatus that was used to, to spin yarn and create yarn of various plies. The, the point is simply that she's, she's working hard. It, it underscores this woman's industry and her work ethic. She's working hard all the day long. And then verse 27 summarizes this woman's outlook on work. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The godly woman is characterized by consistent diligence and not by selfish indulgence, living off her husband's wealth. And ladies, even if you don't have a a family or a husband, Scripture calls you to be diligent like this in all of your life. This should be the impulse of of godly femininity, to do good as much as you can. 
There should be a happy impulse to serve the Lord and serve others, to be diligent in your work and how you care for your apartment and your home and how you exercise hospitality, diligent in your ministry here at CBC, diligent in how you care for your parents and your extended family, diligent in how you disciple other women, diligent in how you care for the needy, something that the godly woman does, as we'll see in a little bit. Let me say this, a diligent woman is a beautiful woman. Guys, did you hear me? This is what you should be looking for. A diligent woman is a, God, is a beautiful woman. And there are, are few things that drain the home of life than a woman who refuses to exercise diligence. A diligent woman truly is a beautiful woman. And this is what Scripture calls you to, ladies. And you may have some besetting injuries and physical maladies. I get, I get all that. But the heart of the godly woman desires to exercise diligence, even when you're unable to. We see next that a godly woman is highly competent. She's highly competent. I love this. She possesses a wealth of different gifts and abilities, and we see this in verses 16 through 18. She considers a field and buys it, and with the fruit of her own hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Well, what's going on here? Well, she considers a field and buys it. This likely was a field that was next to her home because it's going to need to be accessible for its fruit, and she likely used the money that she used, that she gained from verses 18 and 24 by selling this merchandise that she's made, likely garments and clothing and so on. And then she's taken this money to purchase a field, so she's got some business acumen here. She's able to see a good deal. She's able to manage some money, and she's going to go buy this field, and then she's going to cultivate it, which would have been, in and of itself, a lot of work. You've got to clear stones, you've got to plant the best vines, and then you've got to build a watchtower. And you're thinking, good grief, are you serious? Yeah, and she's up for the task. She's all about it. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She works hard, and this consistent diligence enhances her physical health and strength. And again, this is, this is commonly the case. This is not accounting for some ladies who just have physical maladies, which of course is going to restrict some of the things that you can do. But what we're getting a picture of here is the heart of the godly woman should be for diligence. And she is highly competent and she, and she uses that competence and she grows that competence. She didn't just wake up one day with the ability to plant a vineyard or to spot a field or to buy it or to uh, create merchandise. These are skills that she developed over time through diligent effort. They didn't just drop out of the sky. So she is a competent woman because she has made herself a competent woman. And uh, I like to remind the guys as we are doing our premarital counseling that, listen, you are marrying a competent woman. And you, you best listen to her wisdom and insight or you will be spiritually and intellectually impoverished. The godly woman is a competent, highly competent woman. Verse 18, we've already mentioned, says she perceives that her merchandise is profitable, her lamp does not go out at night. The, the, again, the theme is her tireless effort. She's just constantly working. Uh, her hours are the moment she wakes up in the morning to the moment she goes to sleep at night. Those, those are her hours. 
And you might be wondering, it says her lamp does not go out at night. When does she sleep? That's a good question. Uh, That is a good question. When does she sleep? Well, we also see that because of the energy she exhibits and exerts in this passage, she's, she's taking good care of herself. She's not running herself absolutely ragged. She has energy to pour into these domestic, domestic activities. But she is a highly competent woman. But we also see along with that in verses 20 and 26 that the godly woman is wise and she is kind. She's wise and she's kind. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The godly woman displays that one quality that God is designed to dwell richly in the woman. Compassion. Compassion. Women are just generally better able to recognize who's in need, who's suffering, where needs, to be, needs need to be fulfilled. Just more, naturally, it just seems women are better able to, to do that. They, they feel pain of the pain of other people more easily they shed tears more easily in hallmark movies you get what my point here the the point here is that the godly woman displays this kind of compassion and kindness and that doesn't exempt men from being compassionate we know that jesus himself was compassionate in his ministry and displayed wonderful compassion, but women have a, I think, a unique God-given capacity to be sensitive to the needs and the suffering of other people. Oftentimes, I'm being made aware of someone else's struggles or someone else's needs. I'm being made aware of those things by another woman, oftentimes my wife, but other women, because they just, you just see it. You just notice it. That's why women are generally so good with children. They see the need and feel compassion for their child or their, for other children, And they do what they can to provide for them and to nurture them and instruct them. But she not only sees who are suffering, the godly woman does something about it. She opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. This means she is actively doing something. Now, this language means that she either is providing material aid to someone who is needy, or she's actually opening her home to the needy, or both. It could likely very much mean both. So she's actively reaching out to those in need. That's, that's the, the, the godly heart of a, a, a compassionate woman. But she also knows God. She also knows God. So she has wisdom to share with other people, other ladies. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's able to teach other women about God. She's able to teach other people about God and his ways and his goodness. She knows the truth so she can pass it on to other women. She knows the truth so she can speak into her husband's life when he needs some insight and needs some counsel. She can recognize if he is starting to think in in wrong ways and she can offer truth from the word of God. Her compassion and her kindness is multiplied now in the lives of other ladies by teaching them how to conduct themselves with grace and compassion. So she's just a precursor to the Titus 2 woman, isn't she? What do we read about the woman in Titus 2? Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, like the woman here. And so train the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. 
This woman is multiplying herself and her kindness and her compassion by teaching other women. And it's important to note here, too, that her teaching is coupled with a godly life. She's not just teaching ideals and principles and then going on and doing the complete opposite. That would be hypocrisy. That's not the Proverbs 31 woman. The reason why her teaching has so much power and the reason why it's followed is because the ladies can see it in her life. She's living this this life of diligence and holiness and godliness, and she's then teaching others how to do it. We see in verse 21 that a godly woman cares for her family and her home. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. This is emphasizing her care for the home. These would have been high-quality, attractive items. And so this woman is, is making sure that her household, that means her husband, her children, and even her maidens, are dressed appropriately for all seasons. And they even looked good as well. Because of her diligence to provide adequate, food, uh, adequate clothing for her household, she is not afraid of future poor weather. That's what it says here. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. Why? Because she has dressed them with what they need for the season. And they look good. Verse 22, though, a godly woman has an eye for tasteful aesthetic beauty. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She not only cares for her family and has an eye on what will look good for them, but she also uses that skill to beautify her home. And so she uses that skill to make her home look lovely, as it says here. She makes bed coverings for herself. But she doesn't just do that. She also uses that skill to beautify herself. See, in God's glorious design, he's distinguished men and women in many ways. One of the, the, the ways is that women have a physical attraction that, I'm sorry, guys, we just don't have. Okay, Women are physically beautiful. We are, what are we? I guess we're handsome, right? But God has not only given women this beauty, but he's also given you the desire and the skill to accentuate and enhance that physical beauty. And that's what this lady is doing here. He's given you the desire and the skill to maintain that beauty in a tasteful and pleasant way. Here the godly woman dresses herself in a way that enhances her physical beauty and displays her femininity. It's not ostentatious. It's not sensual. It's tasteful. It's pure, and it highlights that she is a woman. It highlights her beauty. Now, that's a good thing, and that's exactly what she's doing here. She makes bed coverings for herself. She's beautifying her home, and she is also making her clothing fine linen and purple. She is caring for herself in a way that makes her attractive in a tasteful way. Well, because of all of this, she enhances her husband's reputation. That's verse 23. A godly woman enhances her husband's reputation. Due to her character, due to her diligence, this godly woman has enhanced her husband's reputation so that when he goes to, as it says here, he's likely an elder here. It says in uh, verse 23, uh, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So he's likely a leader in the land here. Elders were the local leaders in Israel. 
That's how they, he, they distinguished leadership. You had elders, and they were, they are usually the rulers over the community, and he is likely, because he's sitting with them, he's likely one of them. And so when he goes to the elder meetings, his reputation preceded him. He had an excellent reputation. Why? Well, because his wife had an excellent reputation. She was an excellent wife, and so her godly character was widely known, and she was his wife, and so he also got to share in that godly reputation. But I think there's more here, too. Because her work at home freed him to focus his energy on his work of being an elder and a leader of this community, he could excel in his work. He wasn't burdened by thoughts of her laziness at home or her infidelity. He wasn't burdened by any of that. He knew that home was taken care of. He didn't need to worry. So then he could go and he could focus on his work, and which gave him an excellent reputation. That made him to be known in the gates as well for his own reputation. But I think her godly character also influenced her husband. This is just inevitable. In the home where you have a husband and a wife, the godly wife will influence her husband. Ladies, listen. God has given you. You might might think, oh, I wish I was a leader. I want to be a leader. Well, listen. God has given you direct influence to the leaders. That's what God has given to the woman. Influence. Influence with her husband. Influence with her kids. Influence with the other men here at CBC, ladies who are single, your brothers in Christ, you can influence them for the glory of God. Your gentle godliness tempers man's natural assertiveness. I mean, what a disaster this place would be if it was just guys. I'm sorry. If it was only men here, it would not be nearly as wonderful as it is having you ladies help us. Your gentle godliness tempers man's natural assertiveness. Your godly demeanor and patience and wisdom can permeate the home and can permeate the church to have a holy influence on your husband, your dad if you still live at home, your brothers if you still live at home, and all the men in your church. All of this godly influence serves to enhance the reputation of the men in your life. Listen. This, this, this stuck out to me this week as I was reflecting on this passage. We grow spiritually, at least partially, we grow spiritually as men because of your influence. Did you know that? I grow, I, I believe that, well, I hope I've made a modicum of progress. I just pray the last 18 years I've made some progress in my Christian life. And a lot of that has to do with Amy and her influence in my life. The balance that she brings to me as a man. And women, you can do this whether you are married or not. Ladies who are single here at CBC, we want your godly influence. And you can certainly have a godly and and wise influence among the men of this church. And, And ladies who are married with children, you have a wonderful opportunity to influence both your husband and your children for the glory of God. God has given you influence, and so please use it. This lady has influence in her home. But the, also, the godly woman also possesses true strength. This is verse 25, true strength, and I don't throw those words around. The word true is very important here. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She has an eye for beauty, outward physical beauty, but she also has clothing that she puts on 
that are character qualities, strength and dignity. What does it mean to be a strong woman? If I were to ask you ladies, what does it mean to be a strong woman, how would you answer? How does the culture answer? Maybe that's a better question. How does the culture where, uh, well, one organization says that a strong woman is a woman who considers who she is and what she wants for herself. She follows her heart. She cultivates her own interests. She shows her authentic self and honors her own instincts. That's what one organization defines as a strong woman. Another website says that a strong woman doesn't depend on anyone else. She owns her own successes and believes in herself. Is that really a strong woman? I would submit to you that that, no, that's not a strong woman. In this passage, the godly woman's strength is found in her faith, not in her independence. Look at what it says. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Why does she laugh at the time to come? Who, who can laugh just heartily? They think about the future and they just laugh with joy and satisfaction. Who's a person who can do that? A person who's not afraid of the future. That's who. Because they know that God is in control. They know that God is sovereign. They ultimately know that they don't have anything to fear. And women are often weighed down by anxiety over the future. Aren't they? Oftentimes easily frightened by what may or may not happen. This is just reality. The godly woman here is someone who is able to look into the future and laugh because she knows that God is in control. This is a strong woman. A strong woman is a woman who trusts in the Lord and therefore is not afraid of the future. And this trust also dignifies her, doesn't it? For she's not in a state of perpetual panic or fretfulness or emotional upheaval. Her calm, trustful, diligent, reverent life dignifies her. That's a strong woman. We also see here that a godly woman will receive well-deserved praise. Verses 28 and 29, her husband rise up, her children rather in verse 28, rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She is such a tremendous blessing to the people in her life that they can't help but praise her. And that's praise that's deserved. Hence the reason why it's right and good for us to honor mothers on Mother's Day, but we also want to just honor women on Mother's Day. We want to praise you for the diligence that you've exhibited in your godly Christian life. And and husbands, honor your wife by praising her. Children, honor your mom by praising her. And guys here at CBC, you can and you should honor the ladies here at CBC with tasteful, appropriate compliments about their character, their diligence, their godliness. You can do that and you should do that. And ladies, you don't have to hear them be like, oh, I wonder if he's the one. No, you don't know. You don't have to do that. You can just receive the compliment and thank God for it and and enjoy that, that wholesome sibling relationship here at CBC. So guys, don't be afraid to do that, to praise the godly women in our midst. Men, do it with your wives. Kids, do it with your moms. Guys, do it with the ladies here at CBC. Finally, a godly woman fears the Lord. A godly woman fears the Lord. This is really the root out of which everything else grows. The root that gives rise to the fruit of 
godly character and diligence is the fear of the Lord. The book of Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord. It ends with the fear of the Lord. In the middle, you've got the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Without the fear of the Lord, a woman can't really know what real womanhood is. You have to start with the fear of the Lord. Without, this is what happens, right? You've got women who know that they're different than men, but what does it mean to be a woman? And without the fear of the Lord, you can't really know. So what do you get? You get extremes. You get radical feminism. You get gender confusion. You get demeaning female stereotypes. You get sexual ob- uh, objectification of women. That's what you get when you don't begin with the fear of the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord is the woman who will receive the praise that descri- is described in these verses because her Heart and life are so saturated with God's wisdom that she's able now to walk in the joy of true womanhood. And so she receives praise from the people in her life. A woman who only possesses charm and beauty, as the passage says, will not receive the praise that this passage describes. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, this passage is often misapplied. He's... This, the author here is not demeaning female beauty. That's not what it's doing here. In fact, these are only a few passages. Actually, if you study how often the Bible talks about female beauty as a good thing, you'd be, I think, surprised. It talks about it quite often. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Okay, Genesis 29. Tamar was a beautiful young lady. 2 Samuel 13.1. Esther. Have you ever read this verse before? Esther 2.7. This is what the Bible says. She had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. That's in the Bible. Have you ever? I, 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 I couldn't believe it either. Um, so the Bible has no problem underscoring the goodness of female beauty. That's not, it's not demeaning female beauty. What it's saying is that charm and beauty without the fear of the Lord is worthless. Proverbs 11.22, like a gold ring and a pig snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. You could take the most beautiful celebrity that you could think of right now. And the moment she starts talking about God or ethics or morality, you start to realize, whoa, okay, that's not beautiful anymore. And her physical beauty actually diminishes in the eyes of those who fear the Lord. Similar to the physical beauty of a woman who doesn't fear the Lord like that that ring of gold in the, in the pig snout, that, that physical beauty, it is now swallowed up by the dirtiness of her character. So that the physical beauty really isn't an issue anymore. All you, issue anymore. All you can see is that, that spiritual poverty and the lack of godly character. And, and, and pretty much now you don't even see the, the physical beauty. God made women to have a physical beauty that men do not have, praise the Lord. But without the fear of the Lord, that beauty is no longer beautiful. Actually, godly character that grows out of a sincere fear of the Lord, I believe that actually accentuates a woman's physical beauty. So that if you're a guy and you've got godly desires and you recognize a young lady and you recognize her character and you see godly character, that actually should serve to make appear more physically attractive in your eyes. I believe that is something that actually occurs as men grow in godly maturity. 
Godly character that grows out of a sincere fear of the Lord will actually enhance a woman's physical beauty. A woman who fears the Lord will give adequate attention to her appearance, but her appearance won't be the all-consuming concern of her life. No, her walk with Christ, obedience to his word, believing in him, will be her all-consuming passion. And a woman who fears the Lord will be gradually growing more and more and more into the woman described here in Proverbs 31. She, as a result, will be praised by her husband, her children, her church, and those in her family and friends who know Christ. And as the New Testament tells us, someday she will hear praise from her Savior himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the future of the godly woman. Ladies of CBC, the Bible gives us a picture of true womanhood. My prayer is that you let the word of God shape your mind so that you are not shaped by the expectations that our culture has for women. Listen to, listen to this last part. You are highly valued by your church and by your creator, and godly femininity is a beautiful gift. May the Lord richly bless you on this Mother's Day as you reflect on your calling as a woman. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the praise and glory that you are due for creating women. And we love to talk about godly womanhood, the purity of it, the wholesomeness of it. We can rejoice in our sisters in Christ, all that they bring to this church. It is absolutely priceless. We could not be without them. We can't exist without the woman, as Paul says. We can't be born into the world without the gift of women. So we do praise you and thank you for all the ladies you've brought to this church. I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that you would open their eyes to behold the Lord in all of his goodness and grace, that they might be saved and begin to walk in godly femininity. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.